Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. Because it was the only time that I legit felt that my life and my well-being were in constant danger. They had promised us that we would have like an armed guard at all times. And then when we got there, we realized that wasn't true. And it just felt like everyone was trying to rob us constantly because everyone was trying to rob us constantly. So eventually this guy comes up to me and he says he's with Interpol, but his jacket's all like raggedy. I thought he was someone trying to scam me or hurt me or something. So I kept ignoring him until he just kind of kept raising his voice. So I just grabbed my bags and just start walking. And then I start running. And then he runs after me. And two of these soldiers run after me too and pin me down. Today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers. And learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody, it's Matt Bowles. Welcome to the Maverick Show. My guest today is Freddie Lansky. He is a location independent entrepreneur, travel hacker, and the founder of Points. Panda, a premium award points consulting and travel booking concierge service. For a flat annual fee, Points Panda works with each customer to develop a customized award points acquisition strategy, which is highly leveraged and optimized based on their individual travel and spending habits. Points Panda then identifies the best redemption deals for each customer's individual goals and even books the travel for you. Prior to founding Points Panda, Freddie co-founded the company iChess, selling chess strategy and training courses, which he scaled to seven figures in revenue and then sold in a successful exit. Freddie has been a digital nomad and world traveler since 2009 and has been to over 60 countries. Throughout his travels, he has studied and mastered the award points game and has flown on some of the world's most expensive flights for free, including the first class long haul flights on Cathay Pacific that retail for over $15,000 cash. And today, he helps his clients to do the same. Freddie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Awesome, man. So good to have you here. We should just uh, set the context a little bit for how we met. You and I actually hung out 
last month at the Dynamite Circle Conference in Bangkok, Thailand, which was actually my first time at the event. But I know that you've been involved in the DC for a lot longer than I have. Do you want to share a little bit about the organization and why you're a member and you know what you get out of it? Yeah, so I'm more active in the Dynamite Circle, which is the private community that's built on the Tropical MBA, which is a very famous podcast. So it's a private community of entrepreneurs. You have to be accepted to get in. And yeah, it was just, where did I hear about the Dynamite Circle? So I started listening to podcasts around, I guess around 2013, 2014. And I was living the location independent entrepreneur lifestyle. I I guess you could call it the digital nomad lifestyle. And I was just exceptionally lonely because I started off as a typical backpacker, just moving around Europe and South America, staying in hostels and shared accommodations. And it was tons of fun into my early and mid 20s. But by my late 20s, I started having different interests and different things going on in my life. And I started making a little bit more money too. Nothing crazy, but enough to start staying in Airbnbs. And I didn't like shared accommodation so much anymore. So I lost a major place to to network and make friends for the hostels. I just outgrown them. And I didn't know that there were these types of communities where you can meet other similar-minded entrepreneurs, other people that run online businesses, where they do meetups around the world. And you can just talk shop because... You know, when it comes to our other friends and relatives and people that are not like you and me that have these online businesses, there's certain topics that we like to talk about that other people just don't understand. So it's really nice to be in a room full of people like that. And I was just a member for a few years. And over the years, I got more and more involved. I've made every DCBKK, which is their flagship event in Bangkok each year. We have about a thousand people come out to the Conrad. Hilton in Bangkok. And the official event is about three days long, but it's really about five, six days of workshops and talks and frankly, just parties too. And we just all have a really good time. And some people have called it the burning man of conferences because we don't get any like major speakers coming in and talking about their hero story and and all this kind of cliche stuff that you see at all these typical corporate marketing conferences, the entire event from A to Z is thrown by entrepreneurs that are in the community, right? No one's a professional speaker. We all talk about different things we've struggled with, different things that we know that uh, we feel are our skills that we have that we'd like to share. It's, it's just a place of a lot of networking and skill sharing. And, and it's a lot of fun. I mean, and the vast majority of conferences... I don't know. I just don't get down with the vibe so much. I feel like, wow, why did I pay thousands of dollars just to see all these big speakers? And, you know, the, the story of these big speakers, it's, it's always kind of the same thing, right? Where it's always the hero story about how they were, you know, struggling and they were in the pits and how they made it out and now they're doing so great. And like, that's cool. But I, I always feel leaving these typical digital marketing conferences kind of, like it wasn't worth it to spend so much money and time to go out compared to the DC events, which just feels like a big 
it just almost feels like a giant like family dinner of like a thousand people or family reunion. It's kind of because we, we all communicate through the web form all year long. And then we have smaller meetups throughout the year. We call them DCX events and we do them in all over the world. Uh, where I live in Mexico City, I do an event every April and I have about 30, 40 people come out from Mexico and US and even a couple of people from abroad, like Europe and Asia and get to show my city. And there's about 15 events like that. So it's really been the linchpin of my networking. Honestly, I've gotten so involved in the dynamite circle now, I feel a bit overwhelmed. Like I go to DCBKK and there's so many new faces and I'm just trying to memorize everybody's name and all the new people. And <laughs> it's, it's a very crazy yeah. time of year for me. I love it, man. So, and today, actually, we didn't even say where we're uh, doing this interview from. We're actually not together in the same room, but we are both in the Southeast Asia region. I'm actually in Changu in Bali right now recording this. And where are you today? Nice. Yeah, I was just in Bangkok and Chiang Mai. And then I'm spending a few days here in Manila, Philippines for a couple of days. Maybe I'll escape to the beach for a day or two. I'm not really sure, but it's my last stop on the way back to Mexico City. Nice. I want to hear a little bit more about your travel journey. You've now been traveling the world for a decade plus. And I would love to hear just at this point in your life, just I want to start with a macro question and just ask you, why do you travel in general? What do you get out of it? What does travel mean to you? I just always had the itch from the, literally the second I could. I mean, I wasn't even 18 the first time I went to Europe on my own. So I, I asked my mom, you know, I, I want to go to Spain. I'm going to do this either way. And she was like, no, I'm not going to let you. But then I did it anyways. And so then she ended up kind of helping me out. And this was way back in the day. Let's see, I, I guess it was around 2003, 2004, before Airbnb, before Uber, before you could get a SIM card abroad, really even before smartphones. So it was kind of a scary thing to do traveling back then. You were a lot more disconnected. And so I did it anyways. And I went to Spain abroad on my own. And then in college, you know, I was a little busier. I didn't have the chance to go abroad as much, but I, I still did when I could. And then after university, I basically just took off, right? I tried the corporate thing. I just kept getting fired from all the corporate jobs. Back then, I wore it kind of as a badge of pride. I, I guess in some weird way, I really still do, even though in retrospect, when I'm looking at my 22-year-old me from the 33-year-old perspective, I can kind of see why they had fired me. But <laughs> either way, I just like to explore different cultures and different foods. I feel like travel is exciting and visiting new cultures and learning. You learn a lot about yourself through travel because in every country, the norms and what's expected or what the way people think and the way people act is a little bit different. And so you learn things about yourself that you thought were normal that are more the norms in your country that can be different everywhere else. So it's definitely a personal development tool to remove yourself from the network of people that you have in your hometown. I feel like to grow, you do need to take off and kind of tear out your roots a little bit to learn more about yourself just from the vulnerability 
of being alone and traveling alone and putting yourself out there just to learn how to meet people and make new friends and make a new network. You really have to go go abroad. And you mentioned, too, that you started off traveling in Western Europe, which I think is a place where a lot of people may, you know, Americans, for example, like you and I may start their travels. I as well studied abroad in Europe and backpacked through Europe and so forth. But since then, you have been to some really interesting places. For example, you have been to North Korea which I've actually interviewed a couple people on this podcast that have been to North Korea, but I've never interviewed an American citizen uh, traveling on American passport who's been to North Korea, which I imagine is probably a bit more cumbersome uh, in terms of getting in there. So I would love to hear about that experience and how that was and your reflections on it. Yeah, so I, I actually have double nationality. I'm an Argentine citizen as well because of my mother. And that's the passport that I wanted to use. But from 2013 to 2017, there was a brief opening where both on the US side and the North Korean side, there really was no restrictions other than the fact that Americans had to arrive by airplane instead of by train. And there were a few restrictions on certain areas Americans couldn't visit. But by and large, you could do any tour that anyone else could do. So I took advantage and I used this tour company called Young Pioneers that specialize in going to places that are pretty either dangerous or politically dicey. And it was quite a weird experience. It was I don't know, it's a bit surreal. You know, you see it all on TV and then you go there and you realize, wow, this this place really does exist. It was just kind of bizarre, but it's not dangerous or anything like that as long as you're not talking bad about the dear leader. But I feel that's kind of the rules in a lot of places. You need to steer clear of politics if you don't want to get in trouble, but especially in North yeah. Korea, of all <laughs> places. If there was one place to not start speaking your mind about politics, it would probably be North Korea. And yeah, it was a it was a very, you know, surreal experience. You don't get to really see much of the country. So the different tour companies, they try to angle it in different ways where they make it sound like each tour is different. But they're almost all based in mainland China, even if they cater to English speakers. And they all have to work with this North Korean company. And of course, in communist flavor, there is only one North Korean tour company called KCNA. And they all have to work with KCNA. And KCNA requires to visit almost all of the same spots and to stay in the same hotel and to go to the same places. And they just allow just a little bit of leeway, just a tiny bit to maybe just visit um, a local watering hole that North Koreans drink at or to visit a bowling alley or just do one or two kind of cool things. And then the rest of the trip is pretty much pure propaganda, which kind of, it's pretty suffocating after a couple of days of hearing it. You just really want to, you're ready, you're ready to go <laughs> for sure. It was an interesting experience. I don't know if I would go back. I don't know if I can go back now being that I'm American. I don't want to, don't want to get in trouble right. <laughs> with right. the law on the US side of things. Yeah. But if you haven't been and you're in the area, it's it's definitely something to see for sure. It's it's definitely not like any other place place I've seen. 
You have been to a number of other really interesting places as well. I mean, you you and I were sharing uh, sort of travel stories and itineraries and things like that. And you have also been to another place that I've never been. You were in Venezuela in 2016. And I've been to most of the South American yeah. countries, but I have not been to Venezuela. And you were there just within the last few years. So I would love to hear about what that experience was like. Yeah, I've been a couple of times to Venezuela, but I guess it was around like I went in 2011. But after that, you, it wasn't that sketchy then. It was like any other country in South America, like there was crime, but not too much to worry about. And I wanted to see it. I don't know. I was just curious to visit it in the middle of the crisis. And I thought they were going to cancel it because they do it every year and things were getting dicier and dicier. And I was actually the last time that I had done any tour of any extreme or politically unstable or like very high crime or hard to visit country because it was the only time that I'd legit felt that my life and my well-being were in constant danger. I have to admit, I don't think my decision to go to Venezuela then was entirely smart. They had promised us that we would have like an armed guard at all times. And then when we got there, we realized that wasn't true. And it just felt like everyone was trying to rob us constantly because everyone was trying to rob us constantly. And oh, I had a crazy experience in Venezuela. So the vast majority of the people that came on this tour, they were coming from the US in the same airplane. And I was coming in a different flight from Mexico City via Bogota. So I had gotten there early and that's when I had realized because I was always curious. I was like, is this place really as screwed up as they say or is this just a bunch of propaganda? And I felt like the second that I had landed in the country, I was like, yes, this place is as screwed up as like everywhere you go on every room. There's like portraits of Chavez everywhere. It's worse than North Korea. I've never seen anything like it. Like every wall, every place that they can stick a stick Chavez in, they do it. And one of the things I've been in many dictatorships that people like to do for fear of the government is they'll just keep the TV on with the windows open with the propaganda playing as loud as possible. And you saw that everywhere there. So that's the kind of thing you see that like in Cuba, you see that in North Korea, you see that in Belarus, anywhere, you know, where the government kind of tries to rule by intimidation. And so getting back to my story, after they had stamped my passport, I was there all alone at the airport. And this airport at the time looked so dodgy. There were just weird money changers walking around. It felt more like a dodgy bus station than an airport. And I'm just trying to find a place to sit to not stick out, but that's impossible. I just look like, you know, an elephant in the middle of the city. There's no way I'm going to fit in. So eventually this guy comes up to me and he says he's with Interpol, but his jacket's all like raggedy. I didn't believe he was actual airport worker. I thought he was someone trying to scam me or hurt me or something. So I kept ignoring him until he just kind of kept raising his voice. So I just grabbed my bags and just start walking. And then I start running. And then he runs after me. And two of these soldiers run after me too and pin me down. They take me to this like small little interrogation room, I guess. And by that point, I had realized that guy was legit. And so they start interrogating me. And then I realize they think I'm like a journalist. So they start looking through my camera, my cars, they like make me show all the photos in my phone, all this stuff. And at that point, I'm kind of chilled out because I'm like, okay, it's not like some criminals trying to kill me. It's just I was almost relieved at that point to realize that it was just 
you know, the agents at the airport and the soldiers or whatever. And so they interrogate me for a while. And then once they realize that I'm fine, I was really nervous too, because I had entered with my Argentine passport. And then they found the US passport, which I figured they might think is kind of dodgy. Because at the time already, just a few months earlier, they had started saying that US holders need to get visas for Venezuela. But after about 30, 40 minutes, they let me go after signing some paperwork that said that they didn't try to extract a bribe, which in fact they didn't. And then I just went back to the restaurant and waited for my group, which showed up an hour or two later. It was a little bit of a wake-up call as well. But once we got out of Caracas, actually, it was a really nice country. We got to go to Angel Falls, which is like one of the highest waterfalls in the world. We got to hang out with indigenous tribes and all this stuff. And, and out in the countryside towards the national parks and stuff, it's not so dodgy. It's kind of the same it's always been. I mean, the people there just kind of live off the land and whatever resources they have. So whatever turmoil is happening in the capital doesn't particularly affect them as bad. Freddie, as you've been doing all of this travel over the last decade, you have also been studying the points game in terms of how to acquire reward points and how to optimize redemption of reward points. And I know that was sort of initially kind of a hobby for you that eventually turned into a business for you. And I would love to move into that discussion now a little bit and talk about how that works. I mean, and maybe just start off with, you know, some examples of some of the, you know, things that you've been able to do with reward points, and then we'll kind of work backwards and, and then get into the tactics of exactly how you and other people can do that. Yeah, yeah, sure. So on my last business, the core offering of our business was chess courses, like the game of chess. The typical format is a chessboard on the left side, webcam on the right side, and a grandmaster spending anywhere from 30 minutes, an hour, three hours. Some of these videos are 15 hours long. So anyways, it was through those courses that I had to constantly fly out or I had to fly people out to us just to get the courses done. And a lot of them, the more we got into this game, the more we were moving up the food chain to the world's very, very top chess grandmasters. We had worked with Anatoly Karpov, which was Kasparov's main rival in the 1980s and early 90s. We had worked with Judith Polgar, which is the highest rated uh, female chess player of all time, and just other very, very top players. And a lot of times they don't want to fly economy. They're saying, well, look, dude, if you're flying me out for four days across the ocean, you got to fly me in business class or I'm going to be dead tired. So we had to start flying in, in business class a lot. And so, as you know, these tickets are crazy expensive, like four or $5,000. And so, you know, our business doing you know, at the time anywhere from, let's say, fifty dollars to $100,000 a month in revenue and maybe 20, 30% of that is profit, that could be taking a 25, 30% hit to our net profit for the month, right? So we had to find a way to fly these people out. And fortunately, since we were putting so much money on credit cards, we were earning insane amounts of points. So we're talking uh, maybe five, 600,000 points a year, maybe more just from spend, and then maybe another three, 400,000 points a year just from opening credit cards and the credit card sign-up bonuses, both on our personal and our business card. And I'm probably also earning about 100,000 points a year 
just from my personal spend. So I have a Sapphire Reserve, Chase Sapphire Reserve, which is a credit card that gives you triple points on dining and travel. And literally 90% of my expenses are dining and travel. (laughs) So I'm basically earning triple points on the vast majority of my spend. So with these million points a year, I started learning more and more about these redemptions in the US and in a couple of other countries. The bonuses that you get for signing up for these cards are absolutely crazy, right? So I'm sure some American listeners already know about the game, about signing up for the points and things like that. That's the relatively easy part. So the hard part about redeeming these points is knowing about all the partnerships and the redemptions, right? So the vast majority of people who have a Chase card, City card, Amex card, they probably just redeem through the portal, which is you typically get around one to one and a half cents per point. And the idea is you just go into the portal, you type in your flights like you would just like you would in Expedia or Kayak, just two popular search engines, and you get a certain amount of dollars per point, or basically, let's just say 1.25 cents per point is the standard. So for a $500 flight, you would probably be charged, let's do the exact math on that. So that would be 40,000 points, right? But what a lot of people don't know, and the credit card companies don't promote this because it costs them more money, is you can transfer these points into a wide variety of hotel and airline programs. For example, Chase transfers into United Airlines. It transfers into Southwest, JetBlue, Air France, British Airways, a couple of other ones as well, Emirates. And then American Express transfers into Delta. They transfer also into Air France. They transfer into ANA. They're the biggest airline in Japan. And through these transfers, if you know where to look and you know the strategies, you can find business class tickets that would be far cheaper than they would be in the portal. And and sometimes, in some cases, economy tickets as well, even though the business class tickets in points provide by far the best value. And I'll kind of explain a little bit on why that is later. But the idea is you transfer these points into airlines and then you use one of the airline's partners to fly. So this is where people get really tripped up, right? So I grew up in Atlanta and so they're the home of Delta Airlines, right? One of the biggest airlines in the world, especially if you count all the other airlines that they have, you know, majority or minority stakes in around the world. And so everyone in Atlanta, they'll always say, oh, well, I'm from Atlanta. So if I want to fly Delta, I should earn as many Delta Sky Miles. And that's totally incorrect because the airlines, they play this little game where when you redeem awards through points, they want to put you on a partner's medal. And medal is just a industry parlance for they don't want to put you on their plane. They want to put you on somebody else's plane that's in the same alliance or non-alliance partner. Because if they put you on one of their own seats, they're going to lose money from that seat. There's these three major airline alliances. And the airlines in these alliances, I like to call them frenemies because they're kind of friends and they coordinate routes and they basically operate like a cartel. They make sure to keep the prices high, to not compete. And they have a a couple of other perks as well, like airlines in the alliance. 
if you have status on one airline, you can get status on all the airlines on the alliance. But the reason we want to know these alliances are to see where we're going to get the best deals, right? So let's just talk about the three major alliances, which are Sky Team, One World, and Star Alliance. So unless you're a status flyer, like say you have Delta status, United status, or American status, maybe you have British Airways status or Air France status, you probably already know when you have the gold level on one of those airlines you get gold level on all the airlines. So for example, say you have Delta Gold status for flying Delta, that means when you take a flight with Air France or Garuda Indonesia or any of the other airlines in Sky Team, that you'll be able to use the priority check-in, use their lounge, and maybe even get a free check bag in those perks as well. But I don't focus on status because I fly with points so much anyways that I get all the benefits that a status flyer would get. With I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single-family homes, sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, the physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you. To learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now, back to the episode. Without having to worry about spending huge amounts of money. That's a really interesting point. I remember when I was at your talk at the Dynamite Circle Conference, I actually, you know, raised my hand and interacted with you about that. And that was a really interesting point because I have the gold status on Star Alliance, right? I have United Gold status, which means that I get gold status benefits from any of the Star Alliance carriers, which is the largest alliance that there is. And so as I'm flying all around the world, I get to use the lounges and I get, you know, priority boarding and I get all of those things. And, you know, I said to you, why is that not important to you? And you basically said, well, because I'm flying around the world on business class. And as long as you're on a business class or first class ticket, you get all of the same benefits included. So you don't need the status. So that was a really interesting point, right? So if you're going all in on the points game, then there are other ways to get the status benefits instead of the way that I've been historically getting them in terms of recruiting them by repeat patronage on the same airline or the same alliance. So I thought that was really interesting. What I want to maybe just in terms of a structure for breaking down some of this content, especially for people that aren't familiar with some of the language and they're not deep into this game is maybe, Freddie, could we break this out into earning and sort of points acquisition strategies and then sort of the redemption strategies after that? Because I want to start off just by clarifying, you know, one of the main things that you emphasized is that anybody 
who spends at least $1,000 or $2,000 a month can do this strategy. So you don't need to be an international world traveler like you and me who are flying all over the globe, you know, year round, you know, and that kind of stuff. And you don't need to have a huge business spend on a monthly basis like your chess company did either in order to get a lot of benefits from this strategy. But if you do fly a lot, and there are a lot of digital nomads that listen to this podcast, there's also a lot of entrepreneurs with substantial business spend that listen to this podcast. And if you are in those categories, you can just turbocharge this game. And so I would love for you maybe to just start talking about sort of how to think about optimizing your points earning and acquisition strategies and just maybe kind of what is the core sort of linchpin of the strategy? And then what are sort of the supplementary strategies, the bonus strategies, the double and triple dipping strategies, how you can just, you know, how you personally just skyrocket your points acquisition? Yeah, you really bring up an interesting point. Although the points earning strategies are way simpler than learning about these alliances and the non-alliance partners and how you need to use British Airways Avios to book American and using American to book British Airways and using Virgin to book Delta and Delta to book Virgin. It's a huge headache to start building a mental map of these models, which is why people pay hundreds of dollars to help someone do just one booking, right? So that is significantly harder. But they go, oh, why would anyone pay to have a concierge? Like you just go on the points guy or one mile at a time, and they're just going to tell you what credit cards to open and which have the best bonuses. And while that is partially true, for a beginner, it's quite intimidating because not all points are created equally. It can get very confusing. For example, Hilton or Marriott, formerly known as SPG, their points are only worth about one third of what Chase points or Amex points are worth. So I've heard of people saying, oh, I saw the sign up deal for a lifetime. 150,000 Hilton points. I'm like, dude, that's not that good, dude. 150,000 Hilton points will get you two nights in a five-star hotel in New York City, or maybe three to four nights in a nice Conrad Hilton, maybe in Southeast Asia. That's not that amazing, right? It's maybe, if you're lucky, you get maybe six, seven, $700 in value out of that. So for a beginner, they would think that that card gives you way more value than, let's say, an Amex card that's giving you 75,000 points. But in fact, the Amex card that has membership rewards with 75,000 points is worth double or triple the Hilton card with 150,000 points. So the first thing people need to understand is not all points are created equally. And to add even more confusion, Capital One just came into the game. So before Capital One, at least City, American Express, and Chase, their points were worth more or less the same. The Capital One points are worth just a little bit less than the City, Chase, and American Express, but more than the Hilton or the Marriott points. Right. And they did that to confuse people. So when you see a sign up bonus for Capital One that says 50,000 points, when transferred to the airlines, it's really only worth about 40,000 points. Right. So there's all different things that you need to know. So in the US, you have all these four different types of points. They have different transfer partners. Right. So if you're traveling a lot from the US to South America, you might want to collect Chase points because Chase transfers to United and United offers exceptionally good deals. 
to South America. Like you can fly from San Diego all the way to Buenos Aires in business class for only 45,000 points or 50,000 points, depending on the deal. However, United, especially with the recent devaluation, if you want to fly to Southeast Asia, it's going to run you 200,000 points. Whereas American Express transfers with A&A, the biggest airline in Japan, and they offer USA to Southeast Asia for 100 to 115,000 points round trip transferring in. So with Amex points in those cases will be worth double what the Chase points are worth. So that's why I wanted to be a concierge and have people tell me, what are you trying to do? So people typically tell me something like, oh, I'm trying to travel to Dubai with my husband next year. It would be really nice to fly business class because we can't typically afford it. You know, we haven't opened any cards recently and we have a good credit score and willing to open cards. Okay, so that particular case study that I'm just kind of making up, but they kind of fit the mold of a lot of people have signed up. They don't need to fret that they're not spending $30,000 a month on Facebook ads, right? Like you don't need to be doing that, right? So I help people with that and I come up with a strategy to get them that, that specific flight. So that's where I differ from my competitors in that they're so caught up in the game that they just assume that you're going to know how many points that you need, right? So the idea I have with this concierge is, you pay me one year annual fee, which by the way, the Maverick uh, fans can get for a hundred dollar discount. Pay one yearly fee, and I help you on both ends. I'm going to help you come up with the strategy that you need and the cards that you need to get the redemption that you want. I could have probably said that a, a little quicker, but that's the idea. You sign up with me, I'm going to tell you, okay, so this is the type of redemption you want. Okay, you go to South America a lot. Let's go the Chase route. Oh, you go to Asia a lot. Let's definitely go the American Express route because of that transfer partner. You go to maybe you, you fly within Europe a lot. Like you're an American, can get American cards, but you are living in Europe. Okay, let's go for this card. Every person needs a different strategy on where they're going to go. And beyond that, they need to know how many points <laughs> they're going to need. So that's why I do the point accumulation strategy as well, beyond only doing bookings, which is what all my competitors do. And I also educate people on all the other little perks and benefits that they could get. Like if you're in the US, all three major airlines, Delta, United, and American have their own dining program where you can earn three, four, even 5x points for dining at a specific restaurant on top of the credit card points that you get by paying on a credit card that gets triple or even quadruple points now on restaurant dining. There's a promotion right now, Airbnb partners up with both Delta and British Airways to give you extra points for booking Airbnb, which for people like you and me who spend half the year living on Airbnb, those rack up really fast. Like Delta was doing a 3x on Airbnb spend on top of the credit card spend. And British Airways is now doing the same. They have a triple. So all you have to do is click British Airways and then it just takes you to Airbnb through their website. They put a cookie on your computer and then you get triple points on top of your credit card points. A lot of people don't know when you stay at hotels, you can double dip and get uh, airline points 
When you fly with Delta, you can earn Marriott points. When you rent a car, you can earn a lot of airline points from renting a car as well. So the idea is we're trying to earn the maximum amount of credit card points and airline points in the least amount of time. Because although the airline points aren't worth quite as much as the credit card points, they're still worth quite a bit because when it comes time to do our redemptions, say you're looking at a redemption to fly, I don't know, let's just say US to Africa or Europe somewhere via Istanbul for 80,000 points. If you had followed my strategies and you've accumulated a lot of United points, maybe you already have 25,000 points in there. So that 80,000 point redemption, you're only going to need to dip into your credit card 55,000 points and you can protect the precious credit card points that you don't want to use, right? You're trying to earn, maximize the credit card points, maximize the airline points. So when it comes time to redeem, hopefully it'll be into an airline that already has some points in there. So you have to transfer less in. And really more than anything, you just have to make sure that you're optimizing so that every last airline and credit card point that you can get is coming in. So you have the points that you need. But the crazy part is you don't need to be like a crazy business spender. Like as long as you have above a 650, really preferably 700 credit score, but even at the 650 range, and you're willing to open up two or three credit cards a year, you're in the game, right? That's it. You're good. And the linchpin of the strategy is the credit card sign-up bonuses because the bonuses are between 50 to 100,000 points in the US, depending on the card, which you, as you calculate, assuming it's non-bonus spend to get 100,000 points just through regular non-bonus spend, you might have to spend 50 to $100,000, right? <laughs> so the credit card bonuses are by far the linchpin of the majority of people's strategy. So I just wanted to set something straight. Do your own research if you would like. But opening up credit cards is not going to hurt your credit over the long run. It's actually going to help your credit. So I'll repeat that again. I promise you, it's not going to hurt your credit, especially over the long run. So people don't want to open credit cards as they think it's going to hurt their credit. And it is true when you do a hard inquiry, which means you ping your credit, regardless of whether you get accepted or not, when you apply for a credit card, it does what's called a hard inquiry, which is like maybe 10% of your overall credit score of how they calculate it. If you apply for two or three credit cards in a month, it might ding your credit score maybe 10 points at most. And within two or three months, it'll bounce right back up. But the reason your credit will improve over time is because you'll have an overall higher credit line, which will therefore lower your credit utilization ratio, which is way more important. So for example, I just paid off $16,000 in taxes using an Amex Platinum card that gives me one and a half X points on purchases over $5,000. So it was a pretty good deal for me, right? I got 26,000 points for about a $300 fee. And since I value those points at about two or three cents each, I just basically say I got six, $700 worth of Amex points for a $300 fee. And I didn't have to play around with IRS's kind of janky payment system. Plus, I, I like paying taxes on a credit card since it shows stronger proof and evidence that I've actually paid 
when they might come after you later on and say you haven't, which has actually happened with my Georgia taxes. And I'm like, dude, here's the payment. Um, so that's really a nice perk as well. I, when I did that, my credit score dropped from about 810 to about 790 because my credit utilization went from what I typically have it at with my normal spend per month, which I would say including Airbnb when I'm living off of Airbnb, like right now is around $4,000 a month to $20,000, right? So my credit utilization went from 2 or 3% to 12 or 15%, right? It went down to 791. But guess what happens when that credit card was paid off? It went right back to whatever it was, 805, 807, right? So people think credit score is a static thing. It just goes up and down, mainly based on how much credit you're using. And the more credit cards you have open and the longer you leave them open, the higher your overall credit score is going to go up because your credit line is going to be bigger. So the very basic math is if you have $50,000 in total credit across all your credit cards and you're spending $5,000 a month on average, your credit utilization is going to be around 10%, which is okay, but it's somewhat high. Now, if you open up more credit cards... Let's say that number goes from 50,000 to 100,000, right? Let's, let's just keep the math very simple. Your credit utilization on average is going to go from 10% to 5%. And that's one of the biggest ways that they calculate what your credit score is, is going to be, right? So over the long run, it's definitely going to help your credit. So I open two, three credit cards a year. I think the maximum I've opened is five. In a year right now, I think I've really opened up about one credit card in the last 12 months or so, because when I sold my business to my partner, part of the buyout, of course, me being a point geek that I was, was give me all the points. I want hundreds of thousands of points. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. So what I love about your service is really that customization aspect where you look at what the individual is spending, what the individual is doing and what the individual wants to achieve and then help them optimize based on that. I think that is really important because there's so many people that without changing any of their spending habits, just on the stuff they're already buying, they're already spending and whatever space you're in, like you and I know plenty of digital nomads that spend it easy 10000 to $20,000 just on Airbnb for accommodations per year. And so now if you're putting that on your card, which is getting you the most credit card points for that, but then also you're taking advantage of the Airbnb bonuses, which give you additional airline miles for that. And you're really optimizing these double dipping, triple dipping strategies. You have the right cards to pay for the right services that you're already paying for anyways, and really just turbocharging the strategy. And then you also do what I think is just super important because it's so complicated to people that aren't in the game every day is the redemption stuff and knowing which airline to transfer those points into, which is not usually the airline that you're actually going to fly on. You want to fly on this airline, so you're going to transfer the points into a different airline in the same alliance so that you can book that flight you know, with a better points value. And you guys have all of those things right at your fingertips. And so you're able to customize and optimize a strategy for each individual person that's going to give them the most leverage and help them achieve what they want to achieve based on what they're already spending and they're already doing. So I really, really like that customization strategy. That was one of the things that really stood out to me in terms of your concierge service, because I've not seen another company that's doing it the way that you guys are doing it. So I love that, man. 
I also, Freddie, really want to be respectful of your time here. And so at this point, I want to move us into the final part of the interview. Are you ready for the lightning round? All right, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. These are rapid fire, rapid answer questions. We're just going to rock through them. What is one book that has significantly influenced you over the years you'd most recommend? So I guess you're referring more of business books. If we go back to the beginning, I would say the four hour work week, of course, and also the um, rich dad, poor dad, funny enough as a kid, (laughs) I read that when I was like 12, kind of click some, some stuff on, but a great one that maybe some people haven't heard about too is the E-Myth Revisited. Great book. Awesome. What is one app or productivity tool? It could be a travel app or business or anything that you're currently using that you'd recommend. This one's easy. My favorite app and productivity tool is called Freedom. Their website is freedom.to. To is the TLD. So freedom.to. It's basically this app that you put on your computer, iPhone, all your devices, and it syncs up when it's going to allow or block different websites or the internet in its entirety in different times. And they've made it specifically for procrastinators. So it's exceptionally hard to cheat. You either have to uninstall the app on your phone or on the computer. You have to go into the settings and basically restart your computer just to to be able to get out of it. And the specific feature on that that I love is that Sunday through Thursday nights, at uh, 11.30 p.m., it just shuts off the internet on all my devices. And I, a lot of times, my favorite is when I just totally forget and I'm just sitting there reading some weird Wikipedia obscure article about some history and poof, it just cuts me off and just snaps me out of it and gets me to bed. So I really like that a lot. Awesome. All right, a couple of travel questions. What are the top three favorite travel destinations you've ever been to that you'd recommend people check out? So definitely my favorite country is Brazil, even though I haven't chosen to live there for a variety of reasons. But I just love the culture and the people and the food and the dance. It's just something special about that country, especially once you get outside of Rio and some of the more second tier cities. There's just so much to see. And I really recommend people visit Brazil, other top destinations. I love Thailand. I love the food and the culture and the chilled out Buddhist vibe the country has and all the entrepreneurs living there. It's just such a magical place. And of course, my beloved Mexico, the weather's great. The people are friendly. The food is great. It's close to the US. Just have everything I need there. And the culture there is just incredible. Once you, you go away from the beach towns and towards these smaller towns in the countryside, there's just so much to see and do. I love Mexico. Yeah, I agree, man. Those are amazing picks. Uh, Those are very high on my list as well. Okay, Freddie, top three bucket list destinations, places you've never been that are the highest on your list right now you want to see? Okay, I think the top one's probably Sri Lanka because I heard there's really good surfing there and it's like Bali was 15 years ago and that it's just very authentic and the people there are super friendly. And I've been kind of itching to go, but haven't had a chance yet. But definitely that's high on the list. So I haven't actually visited much in Africa. I've, I've only been to Africa for the first time earlier this year. I did a incredible safari that my friend Scott had arranged along with the climb up Kilimanjaro. I think his company is called Pamoja Safaris. Highly recommended. But outside of Tanzania, I haven't visited a lot in Africa. And I heard Ethiopia 
Egypt, South Africa. Those are all high on my list. I'd love to visit Iran if the politics kind of cool off there a little bit. And surprisingly, I've heard really good things about Pakistan, that it's in most parts that tourists go aren't as dangerous as people think. Probably Brazil is probably more dangerous than Pakistan. And they had just gotten rid of visas from the majority of Westerners. So up until last year, you had to go visit the consulate and you had to buy the airline tickets before they would even approve your visa. And then maybe you buy all the tickets and then they don't even approve it. They just got rid of all of that starting this year. So that's kind of been high on the list, too. Awesome, man. I love it. All right, Freddie, I want to thank you so much for being here today, man. If people want to connect with you, learn more about Points Panda and get that $100 discount that you're offering to the Maverick Show listeners, thank you for that, by the way. How do they do that? Okay, so we can do pointspanda.com slash maverick, and you can get $100 discounts on a full year of Points Panda. So I hope to see you guys there. And with my service, uh, I do offer a 30-day money-back guarantee. And I also offer a free consultation. I love to just hop on the phone and chat with people and see if I can help them or not. So you can just do that on my website at pointspanda.com. There's a giant button on the top right called free consultation. You really can't miss it. And if you want to chat with me, let's have a free 15-minute chat about points. And, you know, I, I love to connect with other entrepreneurs like yourself as well. Feel free to reach out. My email is freddie at pointspanda.com. We're going to link everything up in the show notes, folks. We're going to put the link there. We're going to put Freddie's personal contact information there and all of that kind of stuff as well as how you get the $100 discount if you do want to use his concierge service after your free consult. Freddie, this is a blast, man. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, yeah. It's been tons of fun. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Would you like to get Maverick Investor Group's white paper on real estate investing for digital nomads? How to buy U.S. rental properties from anywhere in the world and finance an epic international lifestyle? Just go to themaverickshow.com slash nomad. The report is totally free and available for you now at themaverickshow.com forward slash nomad. Do you want to learn how to travel the world for a year plus with carry-on luggage only and look good while you're doing it? Go to themaverickshow.com slash packing to see a free recorded webinar and learn exactly how Matt does it. He shows you the luggage he uses, the specific items he packs, and the travel brands he likes most. Even if you're just looking to go on shorter trips, but pack more efficiently and eliminate your checked luggage, you won't want to miss this. You can watch the free recorded webinar at themaverickshow.com forward slash packing.